0: Welcome to So You Want to Move to the Country and Raise Goats. This is a podcast about change. Change is all around us, and sometimes we're ready for it, and sometimes we're not. When it overwhelms us, well, we just want to move to the country and raise goats. This podcast features stories from people who have gone through change. We hope that their insights will help you better understand and deal with the changes in your life. Koenig, and along with my co-host, Catherine Greiva, we chat with insightful people with interesting change stories. We hope you enjoy our podcast. We're joined today by Evan Quick, and Evan
1: joins us from his home in Regina. Evan has a long history in art. He, he grew up with a background, his family had a background in art. He studied art and put it on hold for nearly
0: four decades, and he's back at it. It's so interesting how people who have that need or that talent to be an artist have to very often put it on hold simply because life, as Evan said, life gets in, in the way you have to make a living, children come along. Right. But he shelved it. He shelved it for that long, but then pursued a career with Air Canada, which really fed his interest in travel. So, He gave up the art, but found something else to feed a passion, which led him into very interesting places.
1: Well, it did. And Evan is very pragmatic. He studied art in university, knew he couldn't make a living at it, so pursued something else. He chose his career with Air Canada because he loved travel. So a very practical approach to life and just listening to Evan, he has had so much fun in every
0: journey and every experience that he's had. He has. And, you know, the uh, the travel interest really uh, opened up a lot of doors for him around adventure travel. So, and that's where I first met Evan on, on a trip. But he, as he said, uh, getting involved in that kind of travel and doing fundraising, it was life changing for him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, one of the,
1: I found one of the best parts of the podcast was right towards the end when... Evan asked our permission. Are, is, are we okay with him offering advice uh, to younger people? And I found the advice absolutely a gem. So let's listen to his podcast. Absolutely.
0: Well, today I'm very happy to welcome Evan Quick to the podcast. Evan is joining us from his home in Regina. Welcome, Evan.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you for asking me.
0: Hi, Evan. Really looking forward to this conversation.
2: Thank you, Catherine.
0: So, Evan, you have a fine arts degree from the University of Saskatchewan. Was art always something that you were interested in and you knew you would pursue after high school?
2: No. Art has always been something that I've had a passive interest in. I have a family history of some well-known artists, but I never thought I would be an artist myself. Uh, Once I graduated from high school, I really didn't have, you know, a, a... firm plan but I started taking uh, some art history classes and doing that I ended up taking one art class and I liked it very much and then I ended up taking two and so on. So before long I had really morphed over to to fine arts and focused on that and ended up getting a bachelor of fine arts degree at, at the U of S.
1: So, Evan, you come from a family of artists. Did you have support from your family, your folks in pursuing art?
2: I don't think so. I think uh, I didn't have any support in any direction. They kind of just cut me loose in a, in a, <laughs> in a kind way. My grandfather had two brothers that were well-known, famous really, artists in back in the UK where he was from. And growing up, he had hero worship for his brothers. And it was a big thing for him to talk about them. And I was, you know, introduced to their work. But in terms of pursuing art, no, that's that just kind of happened later.
0: So Evan, you, you finished your degree. And did you have a plan as to how you were going to use that degree? Like, did you have a big dream about getting into art right after university?
2: I did. I thought, this is what I want to do, but I also realized that in order to pursue that, I needed to get a job to support support myself to support that 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 um, pursuit. So I ended up getting a job with Air Canada. As John Lennon said, "Life gets in the way while well, you're busy planning your life." And before long, the art just kind of fell out, fell away to the uh, to the side. And I didn't do any art for many, many years.
0: So the the position that you uh, got at Air Canada, was that a deliberate choice to join Air Canada? Or is that something that just came along?
2: It was very much deliberate. I've always had a keen desire to travel. So I really went to Air Canada for the travel benefits, uh, which I made good use of over the years. <laughs>
0: So it's interesting to 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 recognize that you knew that art was not going to be something that you could make a living at, but then you pursued a job where you could actually achieve another interest, another dream. So that worked out pretty well, I'm thinking.
2: I have to agree. It worked out very well. I, I know that I went to um, a lot of places in the world that I wouldn't otherwise without the, without the travel ban- benefit provided by Air Canada. So it was a win-win.
1: Evan, while you were working for Air Canada and going to all the places in the world that your job afforded you, was art in the back of your mind? Was there a feeling of guilt or a bit of pressure on trying to somehow work that into your life?
2: I think there's an element of truth in that. A little bit of um, not well regret, I guess, uh, that I wasn't pursuing what I had trained myself for. But I don't think I... um, Lost too much sleep over it. You know, regrets are for fools, so what's the point? And I also always knew that I would get my hands dirty again with clay at some point in time in my life.
1: So there's a patience that you had with yourself that, you know, just just wait, the time will come. So I find sometimes that that's hard to do, is just give yourself the time and space and allow life to happen until the right time to pursue something.
2: I guess so. I mean, it was always in my my mind. I would sit at the counter at the airport and make sculptures in my mind as I could. Um, They don't really count in a sense, but the interest and the desire never left me. It's just that, as I say, life got in the way and the opportunity and eventually the stars all aligned and, and I'm back doing it.
0: Now, Evan, you and I met, we we did a trek to Machu Picchu. We were in the Arthritis Society group. And I believe you were the only the only man in the group.
2: <laughs> I, <laughs> this is, I was, yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, this is a few years ago. And th- so there was a period of your life where you really got into fundraising and that kind of adventure travel. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like what motivated you? And what did you find interesting about it?
2: I got into fundraising. I, I came across an ad in the local paper for fundraising for the Arthritis Society, and the it's a it's event driven, as you just pointed out. The opportunity to challenge yourself with with a trek to Machu Picchu with like minded people appealed to me. My wife also has arthritis, so raising some funds for that purpose was a nice thing. So I had no real plans initially, but after this ad, I started to think about it. I talked to a very close friend about it, you know, had doubts, if you will. All he said was, do it. So I talked to my wife, got her permission, so to speak, and I signed on to this uh, to this trek. This fundraiser, and it was meant to be a one-shot deal. Get in, get out, feel good, and move on. But I found that it turned out to be life-changing for me for two reasons. The second reason would be I found that I I found I I, I fell in love with trekking. I it was just living the dream being out there for me, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And in, in the end, did a number of treks. there and everywhere around the world. But the first reason was it was life-changing because I learned that I was respected more than I realized. And with that comes confidence, with comes a warm and fuzzy feeling about yourself. And so that was changing. And in the end, I I didn't do one fundraiser, I did seven. There were some treks, some cycle tours. I even ran half a marathon, which was crazy for me. But... uh,
0: I didn't know I did. that. I did not know that. But good for you. Good. For I you. don't think it's crazy considering that you climbed,
1: went on a trek at Machu Picchu. Honestly, that's remarkable.
2: Thank you very much. But yeah, I you know, looking back, um, not to repeat, but it was life changing. Um, just the whole experience. Um, I'm I'm different person as a result.
0: So, Evan, you had indicated to me at one point uh, in an earlier conversation that the fundraising really scared you. That was not something you had done before.
2: When I signed on, I had two sleepless nights of uh, buyer's regret, so to speak. I wondered, (laughs) how how the heck am I going to raise? I think it was around $7,000. But, you know, I, know, I, I got on the computer and I started writing what I called my begging letter. To friends, this is what I'm doing. Please support my cause. And I had I I ran an art auction online to raise money. I started, you know, steak nights, garage sales, this kind of thing. Yeah. It just it just took off and I was I was successful at fundraising.
1: So Evan, you know, I think many people in fundraising, especially in the the volunteer nonprofit sector, say the same thing that you did is that you have to really believe in, in the cause of what you're raising funds for. And then it becomes easier. Did you find that?
2: Well, I think I always believed in, in the cause, Catherine, because because my wife uh, has arthritis. I can remember my grandmother growing up, her hands were gnarled yeah. uh, over, you know, kind of, you know what I mean, uh, as, as a result of uh, arthritis. Um so I was always around arthritis if you will and it's hard not hard not to believe in it really you know when it was, when it was in my face
0: you say it was life changing uh, for a couple of reasons and you know the pushing yourself physically did you find that to be uh, really a challenge and something you really enjoyed because to do some of these treks like to climb uh, Mount Kilimanjaro for example you need to be in shape
2: yeah, I think I had to push myself, and I was I was in my fifties when I started doing this, so it wasn't a young buck, and and that was rewarding um, to me, and that I could I could do it, I could still do that, and it forced me to you know to train and get in shape, and and um, so I guess that's another win win for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you don't do the adventure travels anymore, Evan?
2: No. Things happen in life, and and I've had to um, I've had to hang up my trekking poles. Yeah, mm. I've moved moved on. Yeah.
1: So, Evan, you had a very successful career at Air Canada, thirty four years as a passenger agent, and you have retired from Air Canada, and you decided to set up your art studio. Tell us about how you made that decision to set up your art studio. You must have done it before you retired, because I understand that you kind of ended your left-air Canada one day and the next uh, Monday you started in your studio. So how did that whole transition take place?
2: Well, I think, as I said before, I always knew that I would get back to getting my hands dirty with clay again. And retiring was that opportunity. So I started thinking in those terms. You know, my children were adults. I didn't have to worry about that aspect kind of thing. In Regina, we have a uh, an art cooperative called Flatland. There's 16 studios in in this building. It's just kind of a rabbit's warren of, uh, of partitions and whatnot. And I knew I knew two or three of the artists that had studio space in there. So I applied oh six months before I was retiring. Hope to get some studio space, and that fell into place about six weeks before I I retired. I retired at the end of. 2012. I was Awkward Space, middle of November, I think it was. I jumped at it. On the one Friday, I worked at Air Canada, and on the Monday, I, I left the studio.
1: You know, Evan, many people, when they're coming to the end of their kind of formal work career, talk about how worrisome it is. What am I going to do next? And so, did you find it easier that as you were, you know, kind of coming to your last months or days with Air Canada that you had something else to look forward
2: to? Oh, absolutely. I, I had no fear of, um, of retiring and what am I going to do? There was, there's not enough hours in the day kind of thing. Um, yeah, I never had any worries like that. I, I had a plan.
0: So tell us about that that first day and putting your hands back into the clay. How, how, how did that feel?
2: Well, it was, it was a little scary. I hadn't done anything for a number of years. Um, But in some ways it's like riding a bicycle. You, you know, you grow on the, what you, what you did. Um, But there's a, there's a, a curve that, you know, once you get away from something, you just don't, you know, start back in at the level that you were at. So there was a, there was a growth period and that growth period really never ends. What I did initially back then is pretty weak in comparison to what I'm what I'm making now, I would say.
0: So it's a process definitely getting, you know, from that first day, getting your hands back into the clay to the kinds of or types of work that you're producing now. And Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in, I mean, ceramics as art is, I'm not familiar at all with uh, that whole area. And you, your work is so can I say it's whimsical? Is that what it would be?
2: <laughs> well, uh, my work is kind of twofold. Uh, it is whimsical, uh, as you say. And if I'm making a whimsical piece, I just start. I don't have to think about. Uh, I just start making something and um, just get carried away. The, the clay directs you to a degree, and. You know you look out the window and a bird's flying by so I'll, I'll add a bird or whatever and so there is that that aspect of my work but then I also do what I consider more serious pieces and they're you know full of metaphor and whatnot and if I'm doing that there's a lot of thought process process in planning. I might be planning that while I'm working on a whimsical piece. Um, I don't do I don't do cartoons and mock-ups or anything like that. But for a serious piece, I, think I I keep a lot of notes, reminding myself, you know, do this, do this, and so. The, by the time I started that piece, I have a really good idea of the direction and purpose and and what it's going to be.
1: Are there any surprises that you've come across as you've as you've moved through change, particularly moving from uh working for Air Canada into your full time art?
2: Well, I think I think the circle of uh, Friends has shifted a little bit back, mm. back with artists more. I still have many friends with Air Canada that I keep in contact with and uh, meet for a beer or lunch or whatever. I'm more comfortable now being surrounded by other creative people because I'm I'm doing it myself. Um, I guess more more confident, more confident. Yeah.
0: So Evan, I understand that selling your work is not a, a primary motivator. So, what motivates you to make art?
2: I think the doing is the motivator. I remember Joe Fafard said, I don't know why I make pieces, but I just do. And I think I'm the same. I'm at the stage in life where I don't need to sell art to put spaghetti on my table. Uh, it's not it's not the motivator. And and that's a good thing because selling art is very difficult, it can be very difficult. I'm not just not saying that selling something isn't rewarding, it's somebody is going to pay money for something you created because every time you make something you're putting yourself on the line but it is not the prime motivator uh, it is just doing creating challenging myself to do to do better working with working in art and clay in, in my case is, doesn't get easier the challenges just get harder higher and that's the way it's supposed to be i believe that if you're not having fun what's the point but in in saying that, I'm very serious about having fun, and by by that I mean, I'm serious about getting better at what I what I what I do. I, I take I take it very seriously.
1: You know, COVID has has had such an impact on all of our lives, and it feels like this heavy blanket, this heaviness. Have you found it? easier to be able to go to the studio and immerse yourself in art and sometimes forget about what's happening out in the real world?
2: I don't think we can forget. Uh, I'm I'm very, very fortunate, myself and my family, that we haven't really been impacted by COVID the way so many have. I mean, we have our pensions, you know, uh, this money comes into the bank each month, so to speak. I haven't lost a job. I haven't, you know, not been able to pay my rent. My children haven't lost their jobs. So we're very lucky in that sense. Do you know, a few people now that have been have been stricken with COVID and fortunately managed to, to recover. So I think we're impacted in ways. But in our case, those ways are minimal in comparison to so many others.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Evan, you've gone through a lot of change Uh, you know, from, from your days when you first studied art to where you are now, are there any uh, two or three things that you could share with listeners about change and moving through it?
2: Well, I think don't be afraid of it. It, it just, in my case, it just happens. It's, It's, yes, there's nothing to fear about change. Change is a good thing. And I've, I've I guess I planned for those changes, you know, in a way, and embraced them when they've come along. learn from them, and 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 grown from from those changes.
0: Well, thank you, Evan. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what else you're going to be producing out of that studio. And uh, people can see your work on. You have an Instagram account, am I right?
2: Yes, I'm on Instagram, and I post uh, I post completed works on Instagram on occasion. They morph to uh, Facebook.
0: And you've also been recently nominated for, it was in 2019, you were nominated for an award. Could you tell us a bit about that for your work?
2: Yes, happy to. The Saskatchewan Craft Council have a biannual exhibition, a juried exhibition called Dimensions. Uh, 35 works are selected in 2019. I think there was was over 200 that were submitted. And I submitted a piece called Ode to Victor and it was accepted, and then once accepted, there are a number of awards. You know, best glass, best woodwork, best best in show, and I I won. It's called the Les Potter Award for Excellence in Sculpture, and that was that was very rewarding uh, at the time because I felt I learned that if jurors, people that know art, if if that piece speaks to them, I must be doing something right. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, that yeah, very nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. to
0: be validated in that way and recognized. Well, congratulations on that. Yes, congratulations, Evan. It's
1: been just a pleasure to have you share your your journey, the many changes. And I agree with Peggy. Your artwork is, is very interesting. And I follow you on Instagram. And I get pleasure uh, while I'm not seeing it in the flesh, as it were. The photos are absolutely beautiful.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Could I offer some advice to younger people? What I've learned?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, yes.
2: Would that be okay? Yeah,
0: that would be great. Uh,
2: I think uh, going through life, I've learned two things that I'd like to share. The second is uh, learn to be kind, learn to love yourself, learn to be able to laugh at yourself because the alternative is not very good. Mm. But the first, uh, let me tell, let me tell a quick story. Many years ago, a friend of mine he went to the hospital to visit a, the father of a friend of his. This man was planning his trip to the constellations, as it were. He only had a few days left, and my friend went to say goodbye. Now, this man had been a medical doctor. He'd been a, multi-out, a multi-sport multi athlete, volunteer, a Kiwanis member, this kind of thing. I didn't know him personally, but I certainly knew of him. And he was a leader in the community. And there was not enough hours in the day for him, that type of person. My friend said to him, do you have any regrets? If you had to live your life over, what would you do differently? And he said, I wish I'd done more. I wish I'd done more. So I, I learned that spoke to me, and I know that I stepped up my own game as a result of that story. So now I'm comfortable that at the end of my life, I can say I got it done. I can say, for example, I went to Nepal when I had the chance. And there sadly there are people out there that are just gonna say, God darn it, I wish I'd gone to Nepal when I had the chance. And Peggy, my last words will not be, I wish I'd backed you one more time.
0: (laughs) Neither will mine, Evan.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So I hope that I hope that that speaks to some people. Get it done.
0: Yeah, that's really great advice, Evan. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you've learned just one thing about change while listening to this podcast, please subscribe on Apple or Spotify and share with a friend. This episode recorded via Zoom audio. Producers Peggy Koenig and Catherine Greiba. Executive producer Koenig Leadership Advisory. Theme music La Pompeii, written by Chris Harrington, music publisher Invato Market. For information on this podcast and to purchase some fabulous goat merchandise, please visit www.getyourgoat.ca.